Welcome back to Gold Ribbon Conversations, the podcast created to support families fighting childhood cancer in Ireland. Six children, adolescents and young adults are diagnosed with cancer every week in Ireland and the Gold Ribbon, which illuminates precious light, love, courage and compassion, is a symbol of strength and solidarity for each and every one. My name is Sinead O'Moore and it is my privilege to bring you this podcast on behalf of Childhood Cancer Ireland, a charity founded by and led by parents of children with cancer and survivors who know that one of the greatest sources of strength for this fight is conversation. Throughout this podcast, I talk to families impacted by childhood cancer, as well as the experts who care for our children's health, education and happiness. Yes, we talk about the fear and the pain, but we also talk about the hope and the friendship and the community that exists here because you are not alone. Childhood Cancer Ireland values every single donation while on its mission to help more children, adolescents and young adults survive cancer and thrive as adults and support all those dealing with the long-term effects of illness and trauma. You can help by sharing this podcast and by texting GOLD to 50300 and donating €4 Euro or visit childhoodcancer.ie for more. Aoife was born prematurely in 2017, weighing only 970 grams. Today's guest, Mark, and his wife, Bridget, began parenthood with the concerns of Nikki. Coming through this, they loved life and they trusted that ill health was behind them until Aoife's fourth birthday, when she began to feel sick and was quickly diagnosed with a Wilms tumour. Aoife had her kidney removed and intensive treatment, which made her quite sick. This all happened during COVID when as a family they felt isolated and as they welcomed her little sister, who also arrived early into the world. This episode is a conversation with a dad who went through it all acting brave and strong, but who now understands how important it is for men to be able to talk about the stress, the trauma and the grief that they feel while fighting childhood cancer or any illness that threatens the well-being of their children. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast, a special one specifically because it's so important for us to talk to all parents, mums and dads of children, of families that have experienced childhood cancer. We all process things in a very different way. The logic or the theory being that maybe sometimes women talk a little bit more and sometimes men try and be you know, the strong silent types but we're trying to break that down and that often isn't helpful. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, take us back to five years ago because whilst this is an episode obviously about childhood cancer, for you guys, your experience of an unwell child happened at birth. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Sinead. This is uh, something you know, I might get a little bit emotional uh, talking about my uh, stories, but uh, it's something I really wanted to do. So I, I thank you for for having me. And um, yeah, going back five years, uh, my wife was six months pregnant 
she was five and a half months in. She just wasn't feeling great. So she was uh, going to the, the, the doctor. Actually, we, we take it back before that. She actually wasn't good a few months up to before the baby was born. So they were monitoring, monitoring her. But um, what happened was on, say, six months, she just just she felt unwell um, and the baby just they're unsure what to do. Uh, the, the hospital wasn't sure what to do so she's uh i think she went in on the tuesday and say one or two days previous week to that she was in and out but there again they just thought it was you know just pains and she'd be okay and you know think things be fine but um she had a help syndrome so what happened was and she had uh, the high blood pressure as well so the her blood pressure was getting really high and they couldn't control it. So it was really, we were very anxious because it was nearly every day the baby was coming. Every two hours, the baby was coming. And they gave her some injections that would help, help I suppose, when the baby was born for oxygen and stuff. So they, they managed to get two, I just can't uh, think of the names, but they managed to give her two injections. So they gave her one on the Tuesday and they managed to get another one in, I think on the Thursday or the Friday. And they say that uh, to get them in, then the baby was born for the evening. They managed to, would help her, help her lungs. So they're, 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 they're sure that, that that helps, those two injections help. And some um, babies can't get that. So uh, we really think that they did help Eva. She, she did have problems with her breathing um, through, through her journey in the hospital, but they definitely think that that did help. So uh, the baby was born. I got a call on the Friday at six o'clock to say, Get, just just come in so again the doctor said we're unsure and then it was about 20 to 8 uh i know i'm quite specific with the time i remember looking and uh the doctor brendan very nice doctor he says uh, the baby's coming now so 11 o'clock or i think it was 11 36 the baby was born very small tiny we're in the unknown i couldn't believe it i've never seen a baby i actually didn't see a baby so small before you know so uh we're, we're shocked shocked and delighted i suppose you could say um but um we, yeah we, we were sort of in the unknown but we weren't expecting the baby we were and we weren't expecting it you know <laughs> and your first child you know that, so that was yeah it's an entry into the unknown as it is um but an entry into the unknown and then straight into ICU. When the baby was born, I was actually, I couldn't believe it. I was actually able to go over and she helped the bring me over because we were, they tried, as quick enough, they tried to prepare us and they told us what was happening. And they, the, the coom were brilliant. They told, we met the team. They told us the baby be born, um, be taken away just, just to the side. And be checked over and we were, we were told there could be a lot of complications and different things and the team will take over so it's amazing how it works in the hospital the midwife or the, the consultant they'll deliver the baby but then the team in icu or down in the neonatal they take over and they look after things from from that point of view and it was um it was very interesting but then they called me over and Eva helped she held my finger so i'm getting, getting a little bit emotional because it's something that um yeah, it was a lovely moment where her hand was so, so small and she did some really small Winnie the Pooh teddy, which is going, the Winnie the Pooh is going on her journey actually at the moment. She loves that teddy, but that teddy is tiny and was uh, near enough the same size as her. But she held my finger and we have that picture and that was lovely. That was lovely. So uh, that was, she was only born. But then my wife didn't really know what was going on either, you know, so I'm having this sort of... Uh, 
it's a bit surreal, strange moment, you know, with this tiny baby, which is which is uh, my my child. But uh, it was just it's like a whirlwind. It's all strange, and then you're trying to, as I say, like a dad or. I don't know. I don't like saying macho man. I don't know what what us men think, but uh, I'm thinking of the wife, thinking of the baby, I'm thinking of everybody. So I'm trying to, and I didn't want the child to let go of my finger. So <laughs> it was a very, it was a lovely moment. But then uh, they took they took Eva away then down to uh, neonatal, but I was able to go down with her uh, in the incubator. But again, the wife, my wife is there and the baby's gone. So that's a whole emotion again, you know. So it was, uh, it was, it was tough then because I'm coming back happy and she doesn't really didn't really know what was going on because she wasn't allowed to see for probably for a week actually she just wasn't allowed to leave the bed because she was so sick so uh that was very, very tough on her and it's a strange experience because eventually when you do go together to see her it was a lovely moment but it was a bit of a strange moment because she you don't really know what she's feeling you know if, if that makes sense because she hadn't seen the baby really you know so I, all these emotions are going with me and I'm coming back with these nice stories but then that could be upsetting her it's a strange it's a really strange one you know um so Aoife when Aoife went to neonatal it's a strange it's 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 funny because she went straight into ICU and after eight days it was getting very busy in there and they had to as you're aware in the hospital they moved them up the corridor as such so the way it's in the coom they'll move if they're getting strong they'll take them out of the back of icu and then move them up the corridor and as they're getting stronger you go it's a bit like a mental thing you'll see when they get closer to the door in hdu they're sort of ready to go upstairs to special care and after a couple of days they're usually ready to go home so we we're shocked after eight days or letting Eva not out of ICU, but sort of from the back where there was plenty of nurses, they moved her up. But then we got the news after eight days that uh, they said she was the strongest child in there as such. So they moved her on just out of there to let another baby in. But she got sepsis after eight days. So that was uh, that was tough. And that comes into our journey, actually, uh, with, the, with the cancer and the team because we had experience so i can explain that that, that later on but um she got sepsis and yeah the, the antibiotics weren't working and of course as a parent it's new it's you, you just don't want that chat with a doctor when they bring you aside and they don't lock the door but it feels like they lock the door and it feels like they're trapping you which they're not but they're telling you the news that you know the antibiotics are not working at the moment and her moon system there's not really much there so if that doesn't kick in, you know, they're, they're preparing us for the worst as such. But then that was on the Friday night and Saturday, she, they kicked in and she started fighting it. And again, you're watching this really small baby doing all this, you know, it's a, it's, she's an inspiration to me, you know, because everything she's gone through, you know, uh, people don't realize everything that actually does go well on in that ward. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Childhood Cancer Ireland is a charity founded by parents and survivors who have walked this path and are now dedicating their time to supporting you. They know what it's like to feel isolated, confused, scared and alone, and they are here to listen and provide emotional support. They know what they needed and they know how valuable it is to connect with someone who shares what you are feeling, thinking and fighting. Childhood Cancer Ireland 
has three trained peer support volunteers who offer support to parents as part of the Irish Cancer Society Parent Peer-to-Peer Support Service for parents and adult family members of children, adolescents and young adults with cancer. This service is run in collaboration with Childhood Cancer Ireland and Canteen Ireland. You'll find information on how to access one of the Irish Cancer Society's trained parent volunteers in the show notes or on our website. So you learned very early on, like how firstly quickly they can bounce back and be resilient, but also how it feels to hear those very serious words from a doctor that your child is very seriously ill. How quickly, thank God the antibiotics started to work. Thank God she is such a little warrior from the moment she was born. How quickly did it feel safe? Uh, I don't know. I still don't know if it ever felt safe. (laughs) Uh, I I suppose when we start seeing her getting strong, when we start, it's amazing when the antibiotics kicked in, she she was getting stronger. I suppose we start feeling after I think it was about six weeks, when I suppose when you could touch her, when you're allowed to put your hand in, when it's a very good question because it's actually something I never thought about. But I suppose the moment I was able to put my hand in the incubator and put my hand just around her little body, I think that's, again, it's probably the protective side of me thinking, right, I can, I can, the doctors can do what they want. They're the medics, but I'm her dad. So I'm here now, you know, and that's probably when I felt, not about safe, but I felt that I had her, I could look after her or try and look after her. You brought her home and things began to find a rhythm of normality. Yeah, just before actually we did, she, to get some blood transfusions, she got two blood transfusions. And actually when she came home, she wasn't great. She was on oxygen. She was in good form, but she was small. It's only five pounds when she came home. So she was tiny as well. And she, we had to bring her back uh, after about a week and she got another blood transfusion. But that was a new experience because we were now in a big hospital. We're now in a, the hospital of the unknown, <laughs> I call it, which which I didn't realize I'd be back there again to, to spend so long with Aoife, but um, Crumlin Hospital, brilliant. But because they, she was signed off in the Coombe and they're, they're, they're all like mammies in there or such. And of course the doctors are brilliant in, in Crumlin, but it's different. And uh, But they were great because we, we still had some blood from um, the Coombe, so they were able to bring it up and give it a third uh, transfusion. And they, she just bounced. Every time she got that, she bounced back. But she was on oxygen and people, when I spoke to people about her coming home, minimal oxygen, but it was to get her out of the hospital, really. They said, look, she's fine to go. She just needs a small bit. She was on that for two months. And um, yeah, that that was great. It's just a little bit she needed. But again, it's knowledge and people, they just couldn't believe it. When I was able to go out, we had the tank and it was like she's on a nebulizer and she's, you know, I said, no, she's fine. She just needs that little bit of air. But people couldn't get it. People were upset. And they didn't want to go near her. And I said, no, it's okay. You can, you know. Mm. So it's good to just share. I suppose a lot of journeys I've shared uh, with people. Probably did I, did I, I didn't really want, I don't, they're journeys I don't want anyone to ever go on. But I have experience from it now. So that's good, you know, of knowledge. And I'm more, you know, I can speak to people about it now. And I'm more understanding. So I suppose it's, it's, it's good and it isn't good if you want to say it. Yeah, you don't want kids going through anything, but we, we gain knowledge. We gain knowledge. 
did you feel that her health concerns as she was growing, you know, as she hit her first birthday, her second birthday and onwards, did you, were there any warning signs that there was more illness to come? No, because every time she went in, so she would go in to get her eyes checked. So there was a problem with her with her eyes. They, they couldn't get a proper reading before. Again, the day you're leaving the hospital, they're doing all these tests. They, they're doing the eye test. They're doing all these different tests. And again, there's a there's an issue with one of the eyes. So we had to get a. But every time she went and she done the sleep test and she done everything, she just kept smashing through everything. Eye is perfect. Uh, sepsis after two years, everything was clear, no infection. So I suppose after two years, when we got the clear with the sepsis in the knee, that was when we start thinking, or when I start thinking, yeah, okay, she's grand now, she'll be fine. Uh, and that's it, you know, we, we, we grant, no problem. She's grown and she's brilliant. Her friend, was, her friend was born the next day after Aoife was born, totally different. So that was hard because that baby was eight and a half pounds, massive baby, the my eyes. And they're great friends, but that was difficult for us because we're watching that child grow as such. And then you're always, you're, you you don't want it, but you're sort of comparing Aoife a little bit, but you had to remember that she was three months behind as such. Um, so yeah, but that, that's nice for her to, to have that friend. But all these little things, you, you people don't think, but they do get to you at the start, you know, they, they do they do get to you. But we definitely thought after uh, the sepsis appointment, she was fine, you know, it's grand, no problem. Yeah. Until she was four? She was four, yeah, that was, um, sorry. Um, yeah, so join. It's okay. Take your time. During COVID, Eva's fourth birthday, so we didn't really have anybody around. So it was still coming to the stage that people could come to the back. So my, I think my my to my mom and my mother in law came over on the Wednesday, and uh, she got some money to poo again, cakes and different things, and she was helium balloons. But I'll just tell you just a quick story behind the balloons as such, and this is how quick things happen. When she, on the Saturday, my sister came over, set out the back and Aoife was jumping on a slide and she's letting the balloons off and they're flying off into the air and she was so happy. So they're the balloons from her birthday and she's nearly still celebrating her birthday. So happy. The Sunday she just woke up and she just didn't look well. And everything Aoife went through with her prematurity and stuff, she never really got sick. Even if she had sweets and different things, she physically never, never got sick. So she told us that her, maybe once or twice, but she told us her belly was sore. So, but she didn't look good. She was a little bit yellow and she just really looked, she looked like a child that probably you would think was sick for maybe a couple of days mm. and is not well. But she just woke up all of a sudden, not well. And she said her stomach was sick. So she sat in the couch. But just as the day got on, we thought it was maybe just a stomach bug. But as the day got on, my wife um, was concerned because she couldn't go to the toilet and the stomach, she was getting even more sore. So what they, she did, rang the TLC doctor because it was a Sunday. And um, they said, look, we try and get a urine sample. But she, again, she, she, couldn't, um, she couldn't go. So they bring her in. So he prepared, he said, we might have to go to the hospital because we need to get fluids into her. So when they done a sample, they done a urine sample and it was it was really it was a bit like a blood sample. It just it wasn't nice to see. So the doctor, I can't really say if he was shocked, but he I don't think he's really experienced that 
level of blood before winning a trial. So he sent us to uh, the hospital, which Tala is right beside us. And we could have got just gone. But again, from experience, we don't panic. We just don't panic about things. Um, so we bring it to Crumlin because we have had a relationship with doctors and stuff from Crumlin. And again, it's a bit of a psychological thing, but some of the doctors from the Coombe float around Crumlin as well, and we see them and say hello to them, and it's just, it's, it's just nice. So we bring her to Crumlin, but um, when we went into Crumlin, they, she got sick, I think, 11 or 12 times. And again, they didn't know what, what, what was wrong. She wasn't holding down fluids, and they said it could be kidney stones. So about eight o'clock the surgeon came in or nine o'clock and he says i'm the surgeon on julie today and as soon as i heard that i just i just didn't know why why he came in you know it's like you go away i don't need you you know just because you're expecting to go in they give you some medication and you'd be grand you go home it, it, that that was not the case and um, he said it could be kidney stones we're not sure uh, we'll have to do some scans and tests he didn't really want every time they were moving her, she was getting very sore. So they just they managed to get the sickness under control. Uh, but he did prepare me in case he needed to do anything if it was kidney stone. So everything happened very fast. Um, the, we managed to get a room and on the Monday we got to see the doctor and I think the consultant. And um, obviously they can't say too much, but it's when she got the scan done um, and an x-ray, they knew there was something wrong and they did start. And doctors are coming into us there nearly every hour, every second hour, and they're just talking to us and checking Aoife. But Aoife was, be, I think Aoife was being checked every 15 minutes because her blood pressure was so high. And that's why they were concerned because they couldn't get the blood pressure under control. It was going through the, through the roof and, uh, Again, I won't say experience, but it was the same with my wife when Aoife was just before she was born. The problem with the blood pressure, you couldn't get it under control. And I was aware how dangerous that can be. And it's what I try to tell people when you're in a hospital and whatever medication they have and they can't, they can't get it under control and they tell you it's very dangerous. That's when, you, that's when I worry. That's when I worry when, when a doctor tells you that. Um, they, 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 they never said that they won't but they just said they're trying to find it to, to, to help her and get her right but um, yeah so they checked, checked her checked her her blood pressure was always so it was high for months it, she had to go on blood pressure medication but I think on the Monday they were talking to us and there was a I heard some terminology and stuff being mentioned. And again, I'm trying to explain to my wife what it was, but she she picked up on the ward and she's based, she just straight away said, I think, I think it's it's cancer. And uh again, again, it's a, it's something you just don't want to hear. You, you just you just don't want to hear. So of course we we had to we spoke to the doctor and they says it's a nasty, it looks like a nasty lump. And again, when you hear word lump, you're thinking, mm. okay, there's something wrong. So um I think within a week or we, we never got the full, I suppose until it was a weekend, they said that you will have to operate. And it looks like after finalizing that it is a lump and it could be, it could be a Wilms tumor, which is quite common. When I say common in kids, I think it's two kids a week or so, maybe get cancer in Ireland or three. So it's, it's common in the sense of in a kid, I think up to five or six years of age, but uh, it's still very serious. So what happened was they, yeah, they spoke to us and told us what be happening and um, that she, she, she will need an operation. So she got, but because she's so small, every time she got an MRI, every time she got a casket, anything she got done, she had to be put asleep for it. 
And that was her own little journey. I think there's four or five times, including her operation, she did, and she had to be put asleep to get the port in, she had to be put asleep to get the kidney out. And um, it just, it was, it was a bit of a journey for her as well. And um, when we went in, we finally, we got to see the consultant on the Thursday. And after speaking about everything and knowing that it is a tumor in the kidney and it has to come out, he said, maybe they could save half the kidney. So, um, but because the tumor was so close to the body, the cells of the body, they said, look, we'll have to take it out. But again, this is tough for a parent because this is air decision. The doctor don't, they didn't turn around and say, I am taking it out. It really comes down to us for consent. Um, so that's a decision. But again, we, we said, yes, look, if it has to come out, it comes out. The, uh, they did do a biopsy, but it was uh, inconclusive. So they were still not 100%, but it, it doesn't matter what it is, it has to come out. So um, they said, it was, it was a bit of a funny story. We, 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 were so, we tried to be prepared, or my wife has me prepared. So we had everything in the car on the Thursday. So people, like this, within a week and a half or two weeks, Eva had her kidney removed, but we only seen the consultant on Thursday, um, or the, the, the surgeon, but our consultant, said um like when's free and um he says well i have an emergency spot tomorrow and i've classed this as an emergency and straight away yeah grant i said we have the bags in the car so we're prepared so they did let us go home for two three hours and then they bring us back in and then the next day if i had her she she had her kidney removed um and then they, they were able to confirm that it was a wilms tumor when they spoke to us they said that she may before the tumor was taken out they said she may need chemotherapy again it's another word it's something again you're you're you, you hear i've heard i've more experience with cancer now for me for going through it but before i heard of chemotherapy i've heard of difference but you just say i yeah you know your hair falls out this is that's what happens you get a little bit sick but but it helps but that's not it that that that's not it chemotherapy is the the when we spoke with the consultant, I think we were three hours in the room after the kidney came out. And we do remember them saying that she may need chemotherapy, may need a couple of weeks, may need a few months, we're unsure. But when when they took the kidney out, we were a bit shocked to say she needed six months chemotherapy. And that's, that really got to us because you're thinking the tumor's out, why? But then it's stage two and they said there were cells in there. So she got chemotherapy every week for... Um, three months and then every third week for another three months mm -hmm. and um that the, the third week there was a dose in there very minimal but it made her very sick really really sick so uh chemotherapy doesn't make you ill, but when you're going through the journey that's how it feels it, it feels because it looks like she was more sicker on the treatment mm -hmm. but we know in the long term that they do get they, they do uh it does help and it does make them better so that was uh it was very tough for us in um for the six months six months wasn't tough it's fine in and out of the hospital is fine just to get your head around that okay you know we the kidneys removed but we, we still need to do this so yeah she's four at this point um she was four yeah my daughter was also born in 2017, so I know what four-year-olds, yeah. um, now five, are like. Um, how did you talk to her about this? 
So my wife, I, I won't take any credit for this at all because my wife was very good at speaking and explaining because I said again, how do we explain this to her? How do you do it? Of course, there, there, there is play specialists actually we got to meet and stuff and uh, they're, they're, they're really, really helpful. And they were able to talk to Aoife as well and explain to her. And I always say with the, that's with the Childhood Cancer Foundation supporting the play specialists, it is, it is huge because I feel without them, you have your doctors, you have your nurses and you have the medical professionals. But the play specialists are, they're the, um, they're the professionals. They're, they're the ones that help the kids. They're the ones that know the kids. They know how to speak to children. So they helped us um, worded in a way of speaking with Aoife and they're able to go through the dolls and show them you know what what happens with your um with your operation and if you have to get your Hickman line or a portica um in and uh, they helped us but my wife basically just told Aoife it was a nasty lump and and the nasty lump mommy daddy wasn't happy with the nasty lump and uh, they, they have to they have to take it out and that was it and she still uses that story and she opened up there she was uh, finished her treatment in September last year and I think it was October she just or it was just before it could be pre she, she was in play school going through this and even through chemotherapy she started big school so she sat down with the class and just came out with us and told them you know, I had a nasty lump and she, keep, she mentioned chemotherapy and everything in front of the teachers and the students. And she told them it was a nasty lump and as a mummy daddy wasn't happy with this lump. So that's that's what we told her. Yeah. Again, do you like using the word lumps, chemotherapy? I didn't like using the word chemotherapy around her, but she hears it. She hears, mm -hmm. you know, when you go into the hospital, you say, you ready for your chemo? And she asked questions, you know. And um, yeah, we explained to her what it was. Still, she's five. Does she have a full understanding of the extent of what she's gone through? Probably not. No, she doesn't. But And that's she, a good thing sometimes to yeah. allow her to have a childhood, you know, allow her to, yeah. to have that innocence. Yeah. Um, it has an impact on your health and well-being, obviously. But cancer, a diagnosis of childhood cancer has an impact on the family unit and family life as normal as we think it is in the chaos but you know career relationship your other child you you had a baby at that point how does it impact what it is that you think you're supposed to to be as a parent when you're trying to be like you know i have to I have to go to work I have to earn an income I have to protect my child I have to manage my emotions I have to you know be strong for my wife I have to be all of the things that we're supposed to be and yet a diagnosis of childhood cancer stops everything yeah in the it was actually a bit easier in the coom because we didn't have the second child and we could I won't say be selfish, but you can just put all your, your time in there and do what you want. I used to work, my job was really good. I, I started work at half eight. So I used to go in every morning at half six. And then my wife would, uh, she wasn't wasn't working at the time. So, because she was obviously unwell and she could spend, so she could go in at nine, 10. So at least she could have a little rest. And then when I was, so we were, we were always with Aoife all the time. And then nighttime, we were able to come home. But there was some times that we'd go in Again, mother's instance today, Aoife sepsis, we noticed the swelling in the leg and uh, we went in at half four that morning. Again, my wife wasn't happy and she never went in that time in the morning. 
um but she she felt something so went in it was great we were able to do that but again we didn't have orla you know so it was you could just do these things it was a lot harder with the smaller with another child again orla only came out of hospital uh, she was born october she only came home just before christmas and then you're trying to look after her she as was well. premature also she was premature she was two months early yeah she was born three pounds and Aoife was born uh, 970 grams so um orla orla had her own journey though she was pretty good she just really wouldn't bottle feed she did have some problems with her feeding but she just she, and she got a little infection that lasted that kept her in hospital for a while because they couldn't let her out so she had a different journey than Aoife you know but she she had to come out but when she was very young 18 weeks like before she was born um, there was a lot of complications there so we didn't think Orla was going to make it but again we she, she's here with us now um, but when it co- came to the cancer diagnosis again you're just thinking of Aoife but then we said she's been now and you know she feels it she felt it you know she's only small but she didn't want to be away from us, you know, because of COVID, you're together all the time. We were never really apart. So she never really, um, it was very hard to hand her over to people because we wrapped them up a little bit and we didn't really mix with anyone. And then this comes, we had to, she had to go to different people. She had to go to my sister or my mom or different people to help us out. So again, during COVID, that was, that was a bit of a challenge because we were, we were unsure she's mixing around and then you're worried about Aoife and, course the people that were minor were trying to be safe as well and, and, and look after her but uh it's i shouldn't say a challenge but they are the little challenges that come your way and you have to you just get on with it you know the main thing is to to, to get Eva well but um no listen yeah. it is a challenge i mean i i had a pandemic baby who was stuck to me too and i know <laughs> when you have to unlatch that phase and say you know off you go out into the world and and, and that was just for 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 reasons far different to the necessity with which you had to be there for Eva in hospital. But it's a lot in the five years. It's a lot to go from, you know, a concerned pregnancy, you know, a prematurity, a second baby with similar issues, you know, back into that hospital regime. I'm sure Aoife missed you guys, you know, when you were in hospital with your second baby, minding her through that phase. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. to then have the cancer diagnosis like it's a very short space of time in relative sense for the amount of heartache how, how do you manage you I, I don't know i still don't know where i'm managing me to be honest um it, it's a tough one there's many times in the car i would have to go to the shops or whichever it is or go down to Aoife and I would stop and I'd, I'd cry because it's hard even now I'm shedding some tears it's very hard to keep that emotion like yes Aoife as well now but uh, I'm probably st- I'm still managing me but we're very strong and we just get on with it you know if we just get on with it and I just keep moving on and um, supporting my wife and the family now and Aoife and uh, the good thing with Aoife was well, just touched on with the um, with the sepsis and the back. So when they took the the pick line out, that's probably when she got a bacteria infection. But we're, we're, they tell us these things can happen. You know, even though you're in a ster- sterile environment, these things can happen. So the first thing that came into my wife's mind was with the Hickman line. She was saying that it had to be cleaned every day or every week, or you have to come in and clean it. Or and is it inconvenience going into the hospital? Absolutely not. I'll go every day if I have to. That's no problem we were just worried again about infection 
So we asked our consultant, is there anything she could get? We got the T-shirts ready. We got uh, my wife's auntie got the little pockets ready in the T-shirt. So when the, uh, the the cables, I suppose, for the for the for the Hickman line, you could put them in there. Problem is, you can't swim or, or do anything, say, for six months. So we asked the hospital, was there anything that we could give her? And um, they have a thing called a portica. And that's something, same again, it goes in through your neck and it goes just under your skin. And um, then they put clips on. And that was another journey for Eva. She didn't like the clips, but they put them on. And you can see, she they call it, a, she calls her her little robot because she can see it. Um, but that's under her skin and she was able to have a normal-ish life. She was able to go and play. We were able to bring her to playgrounds. We could bring her on some staycations. This We went on a staycation a few weeks ago and that was brilliant because um, she was able to enjoy a lot more than she did last year because she was so tired. But the great thing was she could have a normal life. She was able to swim and uh, that's great. And I'd always recommend there is some treatments that they can't put them in and that's just, just the way it is. But I think it's more and more popular now uh, because kids can have, you know, cancer. It's sort of taking our childhood away from them a bit. So let's try and see what we can do to uh, make that easier for them. And I definitely think that that part it's still, she's, <laughs> but we're on the other side of trying to get it taken out now, which is great news. She's still going to the hospital every, she was gone every month and she does have to get her port cleaned every month. But uh, she goes to see the consultant every month. But then they change it to every two months, which is great news, you know, that she doesn't need to constantly go. I don't know if we ever got the, the all clear as such. Um, I don't think that's that's happened. But what we do, which she probably does have, but, you know, they just assess her every two months, really. Mm -hmm. So am I afraid that it'll come back? No, not really. I'm not, not, not because I just know... It's so common in people, cancer, unfortunately, that it's, it could just come to anybody. So, no, I'm, I'm not thinking that Aoife is more vulnerable. But, of course, when you go in every two months, yeah, you do be anxious sometimes. You know, you're anxious because you're getting the, the scans and the um, x-rays done again. And the, as Aoife called it, the jelly on the belly, which she likes. <laughs> so she gets the ultrasound. And, yeah, of course, you're, you you do be anxious on those appointments. Um but then after that, yeah, we just, we, we, we get on and we, yeah, I, I don't, we let her play and do what she, what she has to do as a child does, you know, if that's give out to me or talk to me or whatever she wants to do. That's, that's what she should be doing, you know. What has it taught you about your own relationship with health? You know, I, I certainly think as an adult, I take it for granted that, you know, health is something that you you look after by not having an extra biscuit with your tea you know it, the little things that we're sort of bombarded with around how to mind your health a cancer diagnosis is facing real health challenge as an as an adult does it make you reconsider your relationship with health um, yeah, like I, I used to be very, very, very heavy. I lost a lot of weight and um, I always struggled. I probably shouldn't say mentally. Well, well, yeah, you do. You, you do struggle mentally because you can say that one biscuit you'll have or that two biscuits. Um, so I was always, I was never really health conscious. Uh, but then I started losing some weight and I was a lot more health conscious. But I probably should be 
should be even still more. We, we should be getting our checkups every year or, or whichever it might be. But I know if I was sick or if I had bad headaches or I just felt un, unwell, if I had a headache for a few days before EFIS diagnosis, I'd probably be grand, keep taking tablets. I should have not working, should be grand, you know, mm. it will work. But I think now if I had a headache or I had a pain, and I did take some tablets or something wasn't working, I would definitely see someone about it. It definitely, yeah, I would be more conscious that way. Um, to, not, not to the extent that uh, I have to run to the doctor every, every week. No, no, I'm still not like that. And I think that's a good thing because that's why you don't want to happen. But um, yeah, I would be a bit more conscious uh, of my health now if, if um, yeah, for stuff like that, you know. And your emotional health? Yeah, that's, I'm probably still, I won't say struggling with it, but I'm probably still trying to work on that, you know, um, like I get on with good people, friends around me and stuff, but again, you know, you just keep thinking of it and it's not just Aoife, I, what gets to me, what, so it's just kids, it's children. So the you mentioned resilience. Um, if you said that to me last year, I probably, I don't know, I don't know if I'd be still talking to you. I, I, I let me just explain why people find it hard to understand why. It was one word I couldn't understand why people kept saying it. So I spoke to people, not much about if they knew, people knew she had cancer, but I didn't go on, I didn't talk about it. This is probably the most I've ever spoke about it. And I said, um, yeah, she's five. And as soon as they wouldn't even know what it is. Ah, they're great. Sure, they're resilient, aren't they? They're resilient little things. They're great, aren't they? So I'm talking to this particular person and I'm still talking to him now, actually. But, but we at the time, we, we had a disagreement and the, the, he's there just, I should have great. I have a five-year-old at home. Should they're great. I said, that's fine. I, I didn't want to keep going on about cancer because there's a lot of kids sick. But I said, she's ill. Like, she's she's very ill. And this was at the time that, you know, she just got her kidney taken out. And so I says, the difference with an adult getting cancer, in my opinion, is that they know. They know. They know. We, we think of death. That's what I always thought of. Once you have cancer, you think of death. Obviously, I don't think like that now. But adults, emotionally, that's probably what they think of. Kids don't think of that. I can't say every child, but I know Aoife wouldn't really know what it is. But try to explain to a child why she can't run um, two metres or 100 metres, uh, why she gets tired, why her friends are running around her. Try to explain that to a child because it's hard. It's hard to do. So, yes, there's, there's resilience there, but children they can't just get on with everything they they because they, they're emotionally they're wondering why they can't do this and why they can't do that simple things why why she couldn't run you know because she was just so tired why she was getting sick adults on the other hand know why you know and that and there's resilience in adults as well they, because they do we, we just need to stand up sometimes and say listen i need to just get on with this it's a horrible thing but talk to the doctors let the doctors help you as the only thing i always hear from her consultant and she says mark and my wife bridget we have a plan we don't always not that we don't always have a plan but we know we're very confident this plan will work for Ethan. for parents that are at the beginning of this journey for somebody who is hopefully with every two every checkup is out of this journey have you any have you any sources of support or ways with which you think that they they can help themselves if they're if they're listening to this 
and they're at the beginning of trying to figure this out. Yeah, so you know, when you first get the news, as we, I, I don't like saying women and um, men. I, I don't like saying that we're all the same in, in, in certain senses. But I definitely find with men that uh, I don't know if women go to groups or sit down and have a coffee or what. what. If it's easier, it's definitely not. It's definitely not easy. But uh, if they're more open, uh, I probably wouldn't have been so open. But now I am, and if if there's anything I could help parents not not just men just listen listen there's support out there the irish cancer foundation uh the childhood cancer foundation very good to us um we're on the other end now we're fundraising and we're giving a bit back and i always thought of that i have to do this because we got support and during my journey i have to do this so if i had any advice for people is just look after your child go through the journey with them listen to your support around you if there's support there which there is use it don't be afraid to talk to somebody i'm even even there and people can get my contact and uh, i'm not a medical professional but i'm a dad i'm a parent that's gone through this and that's what i really like about the childhood cancer foundation is parents have gone through it and we're, we we know we well we, we we know you get all your medical advice but as a parent if you wanted to just talk um definitely speak speak, speak to somebody out there because there's plenty of people out there especially um say foundations where i bet me beat myself up a bit i was saying i have to give back to the charity it's just the way i was but then i relaxed so i tell parents don't go through the journey get your child better and then you can do what you have to do and that's what we're doing now we raise some money for in a coffee morning or running different events and if you've done our first two kilometer and orla they're doing 11 because they spent 11 weeks each in the room. They're doing 11 weeks. So we're raising money for Childhood Cancer Foundation and also the neonatal friends of the room. But the money you raise will be going to the neonatal. So they're starting their uh, part. We've done a coffee morning. I'm going to do a challenge and we're going to do stuff in the school. So that's something to look forward to at the end. Don't even think about those things while you're in the hospital and you're trying to go through um they're there to support you and you can support charities afterwards. Two very strong little women. Mm. Yeah, they are very strong. <laughs> they give out to me now and tell me what to do, but they are, uh, Aoife's very, very, uh, very strong. Yeah, yeah. Well done on everything that you've done as a parent, as a dad, as somebody who has gone through this journey. As I think I felt it important to talk not just about the cancer journey, but the NICU journey, because uh, having spoken to a lot of parents on various podcasts, it's 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 a massive moment. The moment that you become a dad it is formative. It's it's those first moments, the first time that she you know wrapped her finger around you and you made a deal with her that you were just going to be her protector and do everything you can to support her. And you have you have throughout whatever comes in the future and has come in the past, you have. Thank you for sharing your experience with us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. And I, I, it's, it's a, it was a nice, nice um, thing to do. And um, hopefully um, parents and people can take something f- from this because uh, I don't like saying there is light at the end of the tunnel. And for some parents, they go on different journeys, journeys that I haven't gone on. But um, it's a journey and they, it's, it's just, it's, it's how we deal with it and say we support each other.
Thank you for listening to this Gold Ribbon Conversation. There are more Gold Ribbon stories written by those fighting childhood cancer on our website, childhoodcancer.ie, and you'll find a link in our show notes. If you can, we would love you to share this podcast across social media using hashtag Gold Ribbon Conversations as it can help more families to discover this show. This podcast was produced by The Brand Story for Childhood Cancer Ireland, hosted by Sinead O'Moore and sound production by Alan Breslin.